Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mbudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do continue a conversation that we've been having, um, you know, over the last couple of months. And simply to say, um, in a tough economic environment like the one uh, that we have at the moment, where should people be putting their money? We have been exploring a number of uh, different asset classes, um, you know, over the last couple of months. We've spoken to um, you know portfolio managers in terms of small cap equities we've spoken to people in the world of uh, cryptocurrencies we've also spoken um, you know to the you know about uh, ETFs and uh, you know passive types of investments and also fixed income has also been another one that we have uh, you know identified um, you know along the way so right now we are going to be touching on fixed income yet again and uh, we're going to be talking to to Attila Kadikoy, who is uh, the managing partner over at uh, Levantine and Co. And we're just going to be getting a sense of, uh, you know, why fixed income is probably one of those places that we should be putting, um, you know, some of our money or at least allocating some measure of capital. So, Attila, greetings to you today. Hi, Madhuva. Thank you for having me on the show. Good place for us to start, uh, you know, before we delve into the world of fixed income, perhaps, is uh, Levantine and Co. Maybe you could give us a sense of, uh, you know, your firm and also some of the work that you guys are doing. Thanks. Uh, Levantine and Co., we're a, a Cat 1, Cat 2. We're a discretionary fund manager based out of Cape Town. And we help high net worth individuals protect and grow their wealth with uh, internationally diversified portfolios uh, designed for the individual. So we don't do anything in RAND. We're completely international, uh, globally diversified. And we actually work with uh, clients um, from South Africa as far as going to um, Turkey, uh, Switzerland, and even the UK. So we like to say we're based in Cape Town because we love the city. All right. So maybe um, where we can begin today's discussion then, Attila, is uh, there's a piece that you wrote and I had, uh, you know, opportunity to just uh, read through it, um, you know, before we had this particular ascension. And the title, you know, was quite intriguing to me uh, because you said embracing the fixed income shift, a prudent move in the changing um, economic landscape. So for me, the title is, uh, what's interesting to me about the title is maybe you could characterize for us that shift, you know, towards fixed income. You know, firstly, um, how big has, has this shift been? And then secondly, uh, perhaps some of the reasons why we find ourselves, you know, shifting towards that. And the reason I ask that is because, you know, a lot of the time, um, a lot of attention is usually put on equities, um, you know, as an asset class. And there's usually a lot of noise about, um, you know, equities. So from a layman point of view or from, a, you know, if I'm going to put on my retail investor hat, you'd think that, uh, you know, that is the big thing that people are investing in is equities, you know, but, uh, you know, you've identified a shift. So maybe you could educate us about what that shift has uh, has meant and what's brought it about. 
Well, I'll try to do my best. <laughs> so uh, I think you really touched on something important, actually. You said the focus on equities, and we've been investing in equities. And now I think that would we can say since the 2008 great financial crisis, uh, the emphasis really been on equities because if you look at re- real yields and the monetary policy that's taken place since 2008 has been um, bringing interest rates globally to zero or if not below zero uh, by the uh, by the central banks and at the t- same time I'm going to use this word deliberately dumping huge amounts of liquidity into markets so but this was not done because this is normal policy. This was done to address the collapse of a potential collapse of a global uh, financial system. And therefore, in 2008, um, central banks took huge steps. And there was a stage of potential normalization. COVID hit. And with COVID, we saw, again, huge amounts of basically uh, money being printed and interest rates remaining at zero, sub-zero levels. Now, what happens is investors then in that environment, of course, and sorry, in that environment, strangely, uh, there's zero inflation uh, or minimal inflation. And investors for their search for investment have to look at growth. They have to look at uh, where can they get returns. Some of it is rational equities, and some of it is very high risk. Uh, investing in new investment products, etc. You mentioned crypto, so I'm going to be very uh, uh, careful. But, you know, crypto was a very new and uh, we can say high risk investment uh, at the time. Now, what's happened is we have seen, as you well know, uh, since 2022, we can come back to why that happened. We've seen um, suddenly a spike in inflation. And this has brought about a normalization, what I consider a normalization of uh, monetary policy globally. So central banks increasing interest rates, uh, pulling in uh, liquidity in the markets, uh, reducing money supply. And therefore, we've seen real real interest rates rise. And at the same time, when you have a, a slowing global economy, what does that mean is that you're seeing a contraction grow, um, contraction in earnings, corporate earnings. And we're reaching a point where um, you're seeing increasing interest rates, contraction in uh, earnings, and where it's making more and more sense to deploy capital into fixed income. Um, now, a large portion of what we manage is would be what we consider a balanced portfolio. Balanced typically would be 60, 40, 60% equity, 40% fixed income, for example. Now, we don't have a benchmark, so that kind of moves around. Now, until, until 2022, the fixed income side of that portfolio was actually quite underweight. You know, they say 25% because there wasn't much opportunity. There was corporate high yield, et cetera. But suddenly, you know, we found ourselves in an environment where US 10-year has come down a little bit now, was yielding 5%. It's about 4.5% now. That's a huge shift from zero. That's a tremendous jump in interest rates. 
I hope that answered your question. No, it really does. And I think what's been interesting um, over the last, uh, you know, last couple of years, and especially um, I'm going to quote the last three years, is the fact that um, a lot of the time markets tend to be quite segregated um, around the world. And I think the last uh, three years has been one of those few times um, that uh, both institutional and retail investors around the world are sort of grappling with more or less, um, you know, similar circumstances, right? Um, everyone around the world is fighting inflation. Everyone around the world is trying to push up um, interest rates. We've seen you know, some touching 18% in, 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 on parts of this continent and other parts of the world. Um, you know, so everyone is, you know, grappling with that same, uh, what you call this, with those same circumstances. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm interested um, in these discussions, because if everyone is grappling with the same set of issues, and then we say, okay, fine, people are then looking for uh, better returns or at least to a safe place to park their money, right? Then the question then becomes, um, where does one find that value in a, in a world where you're grappling with, with similar things and what makes, um, you know, the places that you're looking for these yields as attractive, you know, as it is. Um, I, I think uh, what you call this U.S. Treasury bonds, for example, have always been seen as a safe investments. I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm doing quotes yeah. for those that are listening. Uh, but I'm just wondering if, um, you know, from what you guys are seeing, there are other you know, maybe pockets around the world where someone could be, um, you know, placing some of that money, you know, maybe looking for for paper uh, that would give them, you know, returns, especially um, given the fact that there's probably a lot of competition, you know, for that same paper, uh, which uh, to my limited understanding of uh, fixed income would affect the dynamics of, uh, you know, the prices and the yields um you know to some extent yeah so you know um the last let's say year and a half has uh, we've had we've had a coke bottle you know when uh, you buy the coke bottle from the store it looks still silent there's nothing you know and you open the top apparently you know it's fallen off the truck and it just goes everywhere <laughs> Last year and a half has its in global economy has been that kind of environment where what we thought was still suddenly interest uh, inflation uh, going up to around eight percent in the US, for example, and now that pressure is getting relieved. Let's say hmm. you know the action has been taken, but uh, it, it hasn't settled down fully yet. We're seeing we're seeing the next step evolve where the economies are now slowing down. U.S. jobless claims, for example, has uh, reached its uh, three-month high at the moment. So we're slowly, uh, it's a huge shift. It's like a, turning a big oil tanker. It's not going to happen immediately. Um, so to say specifically one, two, three, these are the environments is difficult to say. But what I can say is um, in this environment, one has to first say, okay, to answer your question correctly, 
you know, who is the client? Who's the investor? What are they striving for? What is the return? What is the timeline? I think that's extremely important. Yeah. Now, uh, the biggest investors in the world are, are the pension funds, the endowments, the sovereign funds, these kind of guys. And these type of investors were are typically looking about, I'm always talking in USD terms, by the way, in dollar terms, they were looking around 6% uh, return. Uh, if they get above 6%, they're very happy. Until this period, you know, they had to look at more alternatives like private equity, etc. Like you said, equ- uh, equities were more heavier. Now, suddenly they're going, oh, hold on, you know, I can get 5% on a 10-year US Treasury bill. Thank you very much. I'm locked in. Um, so... First, the first step is the least risky, U.S., because it's at its peak. So we start with argument's sake, the U.S. and AAA sovereign debt. Because we'll come back to this again, but it's very likely it won't stay at that level forever. So you want to get in while the real return is actually quite high. Strangely enough, to answer your uh, question, you're going to find this very interesting. The next class of, uh, call it paper, let's say fixed income, isn't, uh, I think it's not where you expect it to be. And it is in um, emerging market local currency debt. Now, before we get too excited, we're not talking South Africa. You know, when we talk globally, we have to speak very, very selectively. And we have to be careful uh, what we're uh, talking about. But uh, emerging market local currency debt is actually very interesting, especially in uh, countries like Brazil, Mexico, because these countries have a significantly lower debt to GDP than uh, most developed countries. They started their policy rate cycles earlier and reached a peak earlier than uh, developed countries. And therefore, currently they're yielding, the policy rates are yielding very high. Brazil's like 14%. And uh, they will probably start their cutting their cut cycle earlier than developed markets. And therefore, we still have to stick to sovereign, and we can discuss why sovereign right now, not corporate debt. But firstly, Led by the US, AAA uh, sovereign debt, and high quality emerging market local currency. Okay, cool. Now, one of the things I've always been uh, curious about, and I've asked one or two people that, uh, you know, specialize in um, the research side of, uh, you know, fixed income, um, is the ordinary. I don't want to say the ordinary person, but rather a retail investor, right? Mm-hmm. If someone wants exposure to fixed income, right, um, how do you go about it? Because um, a, a bond is not like a share on the stock market, you know, at least the way I understand it. Um, and I've never heard of an individual person saying, oh, I'm holding on to I don't know, a thousand rand, you know, worth of XYZ bond. Like you need to put in, you know, uh, sizable amounts. So for those that do want exposure to fixed income, what's usually 
the process? What are the thresholds? You know, those types of things, because I can imagine that someone who comes to you and says, Attila, I want to get, I want some exposure to fixed income. These are some of the things that they'll be most curious about. That's actually a really good question. So let's, let's divide that into two. The average retail investor. So the allocation, I believe, should be uh, the percentage allocation should be decided by a professional. Um, there should be someone holding the hand of the investor and saying, you know, according to your profile, uh, this is the percentage of fixed income. And depending on, again, if it's a, a smaller uh, investor, medium size, this can be, there are actually funds in South Africa that most providers uh, have that will provide a argument, say, a balanced uh, equity fixed income or uh, more of a fixed income, global fixed income position. Um, with Levantine and Co., um, because we work with the larger clients, uh, we, we sit down and according to their risk profile and according to their long-term uh, aims, their goals, uh, we design the portfolio. But also, again, it's important, you know, a portfolio I don't think should be static. So today we're talking about arguments, say, 60-40. Two years down the line, those percentages, those positions are going to change. Um, but one should, there's a difference between choosing fixed income as an asset class and saying, yes, I think I should be getting into asset class and doing the selection. There's great professionals out there in South Africa as well, managing hard currency funds that will be able to manage the underlying composition of that uh, fund so i would say through products is the best way all right and uh, the other one uh this one is uh, this one is for me as a curiosity is we there's a lot of conversation that tends to when people talk bonds and people talk fixed income we're typically talking about uh government debt is mm -hmm. there anything to getting into corporate or company debt Again, actually, a really good question. Firstly, I just want something I think we've missed and worth mentioning is what makes what what is the call it the advantage or what is the main differentiating factor between equity and fixed income? I think that's a really important thing to quickly mention. Equity, we buy on expectation. Um, we buy it on the hope the projection, the expectation that that company is going to deliver a certain amount of earnings and create value. There's no guarantee to it. It's not saying we will deliver X amount. And also, if the company uh, goes bankrupt as a shareholder, uh, you can lose up to 100%. Now, the beauty of fixed income in fixed income or as a bond, etc., you go into a contractual agreement with the issuer. The issuer is saying to you, give me your $100 and I am going to give you 5% per year for the next 10 years. If I don't give you that return, with sovereign debt, it's very, very low, minimal, uh, 
you are still have the right to claim against the issuer. It's a contract. And that's what is attractive about it. You know that you're going to get a certain amount of return through that contractual agreement. Now, coming back to uh, your question, how do you make the returns on the bond? Either you hold it till maturity, so you buy today and you yield that 5%. Um, now, inversely to equities, when interest rates go down, the value of the bond you're holding goes up because interest rates in the market are coming down. If you bought at 5% to match the market, you know you can sell it at a higher price. So you can do a capital gain. So if we buy bonds today at 5% and the Fed starts going into a cutting rates, the, the, yeah, you start having a capital gain with the bonds you're holding, kind of like equities. Now, um, we don't think, well, it is, it's too early to go into corporate debt. At the moment, it's uh, sovereign debt, the high quality stuff. Why is it? You will see, you will see, for example, in global bonds, uh, company ABC, its bonds will also be yielding higher than they were 18 months ago. And you'll, you might say, why shouldn't I buy it now? Because there's two components to a bond. There's the uh, risk, what we call the risk-free rate. And that is the rate of the sovereign issuer of that country, let's call it. So if it was South Africa, whatever the uh, South African government, in high-quality companies, this actually can be lower, but I'm just being very general here. Um, you know, you have the risk-free rate, then you have a risk premium, a spread on top for the corporate risk. And like I said, some companies have such outstanding uh, debt that it can be very, very minimal spread. Now, the issue is we're going into a slowing economy right now. So what happens in a slowing economy? If company earnings come down, people who are willing to lend to these companies are going to go, hold on, you're earning less money. Um, you know, your risk is going up potentially. I want more return on the debt I'm issuing you, plus maybe at a shorter term. So although the risk-free rate may have stabilized, argument's sake, the spreads could still increase in corporate debt because those companies are going to have potentially slower earnings and therefore there's still time to go into corporate debt. Okay. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense, and especially the way that you've just explained, uh, you know, that particular um, difference out there. Because I've always just found it interesting the fact that uh, obviously you're looking for uh, the best guarantees, the best returns, uh, the high quality stuff. Um, you know, if we're if we're going to put it like that, and you know, the government debt has tended to be that. But I've just always wondered, you know, on the corporate side, simply because someone is investing in this stuff it's exchanging hands uh one way or another and i just wondered you know who and what the you know decides or determines uh that type of allocation so in these last uh, couple of minutes then attila um you know your outlook on this on the 
your outlook on the space um you know where do you see you know fixed income where do you see it going i think you gave us the analogy of uh, the coke bottle and the way and the fact that things appear to be still and then you know there was a little bit of an explosion um you know over the last uh, year year and a half where do you see things going what do you think is going to be characterizing or driving the market great so for inflation to come down um there's there there is certain steps we see in the uh economic and the investment cycle firstly uh, uh you know interest rates go up uh cost of borrowing goes up um profits peak and you see slowly a neutralization of uh policy and then you start going to late cycle as the economy slowly starts re- retracting growth really uh moderates credits tighten earnings under pressure like we talked about uh, inventories grow etc and slowly we head towards recession which is falling act- uh, financial activity or uh, business activity credit markets dry up profits decline uh and we're starting to see signals that we're going to go into in the US economy um into that uh, part of the cycle you know like i said we've seen US jobless claims going up it's been this recession that's never arrived if you look at research a year ago they were predicting third quarter fourth quarter of 2023 but it's it's been a very slow slowdown now we're going into this period where it seems we're going to have um economic contraction in 2024 certain markets were already seeing it as you know china's on a rocky road at the moment um europe's already slowed down south african's favorite uh, offshore con- uh, economy england is let's say politely stuck between a rock and a hard place at the moment <laughs> you know if you complain about sa look at england at the moment i think it's uh, uh, fair to say and uh, but the us is now slowly going into a contraction we have uh we have elections next year as you know we could we potentially could see a second trump uh presidency and and therefore with that caution i believe that um the appeal of fixed income is going to carry on potentially because of interest rates have increased it's time to take those position uh, sorry have um peaked it's time to you know do that allocation in your portfolio Now to underline something very quickly you still have to have your equity you know no one's saying go fully into fixed income like i said 60 40 type of uh, portfolio and you would have uh, uh, but the 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 equity you would have is going to be much more high quality uh, equities with uh, predictable earnings etc um on the on the fixed income side you want to increase your position uh ahead of any potential um rate cutting cycle and um like i said remaining in the high quality but that also includes interestingly high quality emerging markets um in that portfolio local currency emerging markets um and um that's how i would be now the important thing is no one is saying that 
rates are not going to go down. It's quite opposite. Uh, when the US economy slows, the Fed starts taking steps. If inflation has come down to acceptable levels, they will start a rate cut cycle and you'll start slowly seeing economic growth again. And your bond portfolio will uh, appreciate in value. Um, but I see this as a last, sorry, uh, I see this as a normalization finally after the 2008 uh, great financial crisis. Any listener, I would recommend have a look at the since the early 80s, the yields, the graph, a chart of a US 10 year. And you'll see that we've been in this tremendous, from a peak of around 16%, I believe, tremendous downward cyclical trend in US interest rates. Of course, that had a huge global impact. And for the first time, we're starting a slight reversal of that trend. Hence, suddenly, this is a story to talk about. So that's where we end off today's discussion. It has uh, really been a great one with um, Attila just talking about uh, the attraction, you know, and shift towards uh, fixed income in the current economy. Um, you know, you have um, a number of investors around the world, you know, all looking for a good place, you know, uh, where they can either find returns or park their money, you know, so that it can be safe and, you know, protect, um, pay perhaps even hedge um, against some of the volatility that has been seen broadly, um, you know, in the market over the last uh, year or so. A couple of things that, uh, you know, that he does mention is the fact that surprisingly, um, they've actually found that, uh, you know, there is, you know, uh, some high quality stuff that is is available in emerging markets but you can't look at emerging markets with uh, one broad brush you sort of have to do your research um, you know about the specific uh, you know different countries and then lastly just talking about the fact that uh, equities um, you know should also be part of the portfolio we're not saying that you should be 100 percent you know on the fixed income side uh, but you must also just have some type of a balanced portfolio perhaps it's not the time to get into corporate debt because you know it's a little bit uh, you know shifty on that side but you know certainly um, you know the sovereign and uh, you know government debt is uh, you know probably uh, where people should play and then lastly he made that distinction between equities and uh, you know the fixed income space so with that thank you so much um, you know Attila that is Attila Kadikoy uh, who is managing partner over at Levantine and Co. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.